This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, before we dive into the twists and turns of our latest investigation, let's take a moment to understand the value of having a sanctuary to decompress and sift through your thoughts. Therapy is that haven. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash AOM today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash AOM. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. The mom was very upset, distraught, because she said she talked to her daughter at least twice a day, and she had not heard from her since that Friday evening before, and she was just adamant something was wrong. I didn't tell her, hey, I know that too, because I don't want to upset them, you know, in the, in the very beginning, but, you know, the old saying with detectives say, that's what we call a clue. I'm Scott Weinberger, investigative journalist and former deputy sheriff. I'm Anasiga Nicolazzi, former New York City homicide prosecutor and host of Investigation Discovery's True Conviction. And this is Anatomy of Murder. There's definitely something to a parent's intuition. And you know that saying that moms always know, and they do, right? At least most Call it instinct or whatever you please, but they usually can tell when there's something going on. And in this case, just a brief lapse in communication was all it took for one mom to fear for her daughter's safety. For today's case, we talked to Jim Shaw, who's the former police chief, but for years he was a detective at the Etowah Police Department. I worked in Etowah from October of 2011 until I retired My last active day was July 22nd of 2020. He didn't exactly start out with plans to go into police work. It's something I fell into. I started going to college a couple years after I got out of the Marine Corps because I wanted to be a history teacher. But eventually Jim Shaw did end up working in law enforcement. He started as a deputy sheriff in 1993, and he would go on to serve various departments across the state of Tennessee before serving the town of Etowah and eventually becoming its chief of police. So Etowah is a small town, population roughly about 3,600 residents. It's nestled in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains of Tennessee. And according to the chief, many of the people who live in Etowah work on the farms or its factories. It's quiet, but just like anywhere, it's not without its problems. They see their share of crime, that is, except for murder. And Jim says that murders don't happen in Etowah, that is, until this one. In a small town like that, that was the only murder I worked from 2011 until I left in 2020. That was the only murder that ever occurred there in the city. But today's case didn't start out so clearly. Far from it. It started with a young woman, Kelsey Burnett, being reported missing by her mother. 
Kelsey was just 18 years old and had just graduated from high school. She had long red hair, a sweet smile, was close to her family, especially her mom and her twin brother. And after high school, she worked at the local McDonald's. And her parents said she was intelligent, kind, and she was gentle. And she was also described as an all-around good kid. She was not into drugs. She was not a drinker. She didn't hang around with what they would call the rough crowd or anything like that. Outside of work, Kelsey spent time, like many teens, with her peers. Lots of time with her boyfriend, Nick Rose, and their mutual friends, Austin Burke and Joseph Wilson. The group, Kelsey, Austin, Nick, and Joseph, would get together to do what many teens do. Play video games, they'd sit around a bonfire in the backyard of Austin's family home. And that is where this group spent much of their time. Kelsey had recently moved out of her parents' home and was basically living with her boyfriend, Nick, the two often sleeping in her car. And at that time, that car had been parked with the couple in Austin Burke's backyard. Even though she was no longer living at home, Kelsey and her mom still talked all the time, actually multiple times a day. Let's go back to June 30th, 2017. It would begin as a typical Friday night for this group of friends. How it ended would be a different story. I was notified just before midnight on a Saturday night by our patrol officers. They called and told me that the girl had supposedly been missing since Friday night. And one of the witnesses said that she took off walking. For Kelsey, it was definitely strange that she would just walk off by herself so late and then not return. So by July 1st, when nearly a day had passed and Kelsey's mom hadn't heard from her, Her concern really began to grow, so much so she filed a missing persons report sending officers to Austin Burke's home where Kelsey's mom knew she had been staying. But when officers arrived at the home, it was even more alarming when they found that her car, the one that she and Nick used to travel just about everywhere, was nowhere to be found. When they called me, I actually went to the house where she had been staying in her vehicle there and... What had happened was there was two guys that took her vehicle and dropped it off at her uncle's house, which was right there in Etowah also. And so I was asking them, well, why did you move her vehicle and everything? And they said, well, you know, she wasn't here. So the question really is, why not just leave the car there? And who moved it? So it was actually Kelsey's boyfriend, Nick, and the owner of the house, Austin Burke, They were the two who moved the car, and they brought it over to Kelsey's uncle's house, saying that they brought the car there because they were looking for Kelsey. So, Scott, what do you think about that? This young woman goes missing. She and her boyfriend basically live out of this car. And then now the two take this car and bring it somewhere else? I mean, obviously, we have one witness giving officers her last known direction of travel— But the others at the home, what's their account and what happened to Kelsey? So it was a little unusual that it took that long for them to determine who was where and what happened to the car and what happened to Kelsey. All of those stories really aren't adding up at this moment. When Jim was asked if he thought it was off too, here's how he answered. Oh, (laughs) big time. Red flags everywhere. So Jim Shaw uses one of your favorite lines, Scott, big red flag. What do you think the big red flag in the moving of her car was? 
If someone is saying that Kelsey took off on foot and walked down the street, but her car is gone, those two things don't add up. I really wanted to dig in on how those two paths of leaving the home could be so different. So really all investigators have in the beginning was that Kelsey goes missing and they know there's at least three people at the home when she disappears. Her boyfriend, Nick, and the couple's friends, Joseph and Austin. And remember, it was his house. But investigators also quickly realized that gathering a clear story from the trio wasn't going to be so easy, especially after a night of partying, starting with Kelsey's boyfriend, who said that night to him was a total blur. Nick had been drinking, and he admitted to that, and he actually got sick. They put him in the back of the uh, blazer, and he was passed out, sleeping. The friends all said that 18-year-old Nick had been drinking hard and ended up sleeping in the couple's car. When questioned by police, Nick said that there was no disagreement or anything like that between him and Kelsey, nothing that would have led her to leave the house alone. He did tell police that he really didn't know what had happened because he claimed he'd blacked out from a night of drinking and didn't even exactly remember the last time he'd seen Kelsey. He had no idea what had happened to her. He was at a loss. Next, police questioned Austin, and he told police that Nick passed out in the car after midnight, and then he, Austin, went to sleep shortly after that. Obviously, it's possible that that's exactly what happened, but given the circumstances, it's equally possible that it's not. So Nick and Austin's story seems to be lining up, at least so far, but remember, it was Austin's home, and so he'd be the one most likely familiar with the areas surrounding it. But they also had one other friend to still speak with from this night of partying, and that was the third friend, 17-year-old Joseph Wilson. He gave me a statement that him and her were sitting on the front porch of the house talking, and her phone was being charged inside the house, and it was about 5 o'clock in the morning on the Saturday morning. She said, hey, can you get my phone inside? It's on the charger. I need it, and I'm going to go for a walk. Joseph said he gave Kelsey her phone and then decided to take a shower. When he got out of the shower, Kelsey had vanished. And according to Joseph, she just walked off and never came back. We definitely have conflicting accounts of what occurred, right? Something investigators are going to dig into. One of the questions I would have is could alcohol play a role in their recollection of events on Asiga? You know, like I think as you pointed out earlier, Scott, definitely all these things could be very accurate. But is it that they are accurate and reliable or is it that these are fuzzy memories based on partying, lack of sleep? They said they've been drinking at least some of them. It's definitely harder for investigators to make heads and tails when people's powers of perception are clouded by various things like here. So let's just go back for a moment about what we know at this point, because remember, we have different people that we somehow need to keep track of. When police arrived, they find both Kelsey and her car missing. Her boyfriend, Nick, claims to have passed out before she disappeared, has no idea what happened to her. And Nick's story was verified by their friend, Austin, who also claims to have fallen asleep shortly after Nick. And then Joseph says that he talked to Kelsey on the front porch until about 5 a.m., And after grabbing her phone, he watched her basically leave the house on foot. While police are conducting interviews and trying to make sense of who was where, 
The priority is still trying to find Kelsey. There are a lot of different considerations that go into the effort made the moment someone is reported missing. Things like age, either very young or even very old, will be treated in a higher priority. Remember, Kelsey has already been missing for more than 24 hours before police were even called to Austin's home. So what we did, we started knocking on people's doors, asking if they had seen anything, heard anything. In the early hours of this investigation, officers would begin to check at the homes of her other friends, but she was nowhere to be found. The community also joined together to form search groups and canvass the neighborhood. And while the searching continued, police got a phone call. A piece of Kelsey's phone had been located. And the person who had it was Nick, Kelsey's boyfriend. The evidence keeps pouring in, and at this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It's an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments you can join with friends, as partners or teams, or timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. I've always said that information is powerful. So I've got a question for you. Have you ever had the feeling that someone wasn't being fully truthful with you when you needed to do a gut check because you're pretty sure something wasn't adding up about someone's past? Well, you should turn to Truthfinder. Whether it is a neighbor or a random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by their phone number, address, name, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. If you're on a dating app, you need to be on Truthfinder as well. Truthfinder helps you identify potential threats so you can avoid them and protect yourself. I found the website at truthfinder.com easy to navigate with lots of smart tools and shortcuts. Critical information could be just a few clicks away. Go to truthfinder.com anatomy for a special anatomy of murder offer. That's truthfinder.com slash A-N-A-T-O-M-Y to access your special offer today. While investigators continued their search for Kelsey, Detective Shaw got a call from Kelsey's boyfriend, Nick, who said he had just found a piece of Kelsey's phone, the first piece of crucial evidence in this case. When he woke up about six that morning, he was looking for, he goes into the bathroom in the house and sees the SIM card in the toilet and gets it out. 
So Nick apparently found this SIM card in the toilet in Austin's home, but no phone, just the SIM card. He assumed it was for Kelsey's phone because the card had the name of the same phone carrier that he knew she used, but with no phone to match it up, he couldn't be sure. What an unusual find in an unusual place. And obviously one of the questions was, why was it there? Kelsey's SIM card could provide critical information like text messages, emails, perhaps pertinent information in the hours before her disappearance. Did somebody realize that and just forget the flush? And also the fact that it is Nick that has it. The boyfriend on the one hand, it's like, well, wait a second. Is there something fishy about him having part of her phone? But on the other hand, he's the one that brought it to police attention. Could it be that he assumes they're going to find it and wants to be the one offering it up? You know, Police definitely are not having an easy time trying to parse out the truth from potential non-truths to accuracies and potential inaccuracies, at least so far. And that in part is what led Jim Shaw to begin to question Joseph's story that Kelsey had just walked off after he handed her that phone. Jim didn't know exactly what the SIM card meant for the investigation or even how important it would ultimately end up becoming in this case. But he did take it seriously. It was all he had to go on. But think about this. How does it jive with Joseph's version of events that Kelsey just walked off after he handed her the phone? You know, no SIM card means no calls, no texts. It means no service. With everything that was going on, there was no way it could have happened that way. You know, you go with your gut feeling that she would go for a walk at 5 o'clock in the morning and leave her vehicle there and then not be heard from at all. Almost 24 hours later, it just it, it made no sense to me at all because she was not the type of person that would just take off and go away. While things were not adding up for Detective Shaw, at this point, this is still just a missing persons investigation, albeit one that was feeling like a lot more. I actually called TBI because I was the only detective there at the department. And a lot of times when when you get something like this, you need to get all the help you can from other agencies. TBI is an acronym for the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations. And basically, like many places, there are larger organizations that can come in and assist particular departments when asked. And that's exactly what happened here. Jim wanted TBI's help to search the house where Kelsey had last been seen, just to make sure that they hadn't missed any, at least potential, evidence. We do know that this case is within a very small town with a police department which has limited resources. So TBI can play a very big role, especially when it comes to digital forensic processing and evaluation. As investigators searched Austin Burke's family home, there weren't any obvious signs that something bad had taken place. But there was something that caught Jim's eye. There was a baseball bat in the backyard, like a kid's baseball bat, you know, like a little league baseball bat, aluminum maroon bat. So there was no baseballs or related equipment around the bat, which was odd to Detective Shaw. So he chose to seize it as evidence. It just did not look right in that backyard because there was no small kids that played little league baseball there. Scott, that definitely goes to good detective work. And what I mean by that is the power of observation sometimes for the innocuous. You read my mind. I mean, this is a great example of old-fashioned detective work, Anasiga, 
a potential piece of evidence not from forensics or blood or fingerprints or even a lead that comes from a witness. This is crime scene awareness, keying in on what may help tell a story. In the back of Jim's mind, he remembered an important detail from his interviews with Kelsey's friends. And a few more dots now in this case are starting to connect. I was told that that bat always sat on the front porch. And I found it in the backyard, laying in the middle of the backyard. And that's when it started really pointing to Joseph because he actually put himself in the vicinity of that bat because he said they were sitting on the front porch. The discovery of the baseball bat definitely cast suspicion towards Joseph Wilson. And remember, his account of where he had been in the front of the home with Kelsey that Friday night, early Saturday morning. Or did it? Because remember, this was Austin's family home. So obviously, he would know where to find that object, too. And with this new piece of potential evidence, the search for Kelsey intensified, including reaching out to the media for help. I called all the three major networks down in Chattanooga and also two of them in Knoxville and had them post her face on there as missing and that we were in desperate need to uh, get in touch with her. And so they actually put her picture on TV for us, everything like that. Also the county, the sheriff's department, and me and some of my other officers there at the uh, police department we went everywhere, out in the county, looking at places. We went to campgrounds, you name it, we were looking. And then, you know, it got to the point on that Monday, I told uh, Daniel Hampton, the uh, patrolman there at the uh, police department, and I told him, I said, we're not going to find her alive. On July 4th of 2017, just three days after Kelsey Burnett was reported missing, Detective Jim Shaw's words would unfortunately ring true. We've got a radio sitting there with us while we're getting ready to eat, and it comes across the radio. A man living just 100 yards from Austin Burke's house was mowing his lawn when he smelled something emanating from the alley near his home. When he went to inspect the area, he came upon several trash cans, and he could clearly see a human foot protruding from one of them. He called police. Detective Shaw then arrived on scene. And the closer I got to the trash can, the more I could smell because we had had thunderstorms like a day or two before, and then it got real hot and humid, and so her body started decaying quickly. Kelsey Burnett had been placed in a trash can, her head first, and was still fully clothed. But because of recent heat and thunderstorms, her body was already badly decomposed. The entire area around the body was processed, and although the body would need to be formally ID'd, the first thing Jim noticed was the clothing still on her body, which did match what Kelsey was wearing on the night she went missing. I sealed off the whole area. I shut down a little side street that goes down right beside there. I shut it down completely. I called for the county to come help assist with controlling the crime scene. I called TBI to get their crime scene investigator out there because they have so much more equipment than what we had in our department. So this missing persons investigation had officially now turned to a homicide investigation, and authorities were treating the Burke home and the surrounding neighborhood as a crime scene. In a small town, word travels fast, and while authorities are still out there literally examining the remains, 
Kelsey's family had already arrived in the alleyway. They heard, I guess, while we were there, because we weren't there 30 minutes, and her mom and dad both, and her brother, her twin brother, was there. And I can tell you from experience, that completely changes the dynamic of a crime scene. You know, there is great care, Anasiga, as you know, taken to make sure the family is shielded the best way law enforcement is able to do. And the way that you would hope that it would go is that law enforcement or someone close to the family would be the ones to, as gently as possible, break the news. But as you said, Scott, in this small town, word spread like fire, and now the family was on the scene. And just think about the issues it poses. Obviously, it's the empathy and care for that family, but the police also have work to do, and every minute counts. And just imagine if it was one of your loved ones found like that. You want to be there. You can't imagine what's going on. But at the same time, police need to be methodical with the work that they were undertaking. You have to identify the body. We had to get dental records and everything. We knew it was her, I mean, without a shadow of a doubt. But you have to get that official thing from the coroner, from the autopsy, that it really is her. And that's what I told the parents. Kelsey's body was transported to the medical examiner's office, who confirmed what Detective Shaw and the family already knew. It was Kelsey Burnett. The ME found cuts, presumably from a knife, on one of Kelsey's arms and determined she had suffered severe blunt force trauma to the head, officially classifying her death as a homicide. Toxicology reports would also later prove that no alcohol or drugs were found in Kelsey's system. Now, during that examination, the medical examiner also noted that there were knife marks on her arms, and there is still more because the medical examiner also was able to determine that she had been sexually assaulted. And without getting too graphic here, remember, they were outside. And let's just say that areas and things that would normally be found on the ground were found inside of her during that autopsy. And we'll leave it at that, but to say that foreign DNA was also collected. Kelsey's skull was discovered in pieces, so it was clear to investigators that blunt force trauma would be what killed her and the cut on one of her arms could have been a defensive wound. But clearly, the question was, what type of weapon could inflict that much damage to a person's skull? Well, it was pretty much determined on scene that the bat may play some part in that attack. But they were soon about to find something else that interested them, too. As they explored the crime scene and the surrounding areas, Several feet from one of the trash cans was a cement slab that just looked very out of place. So investigators moved that slab, and down in the ground was a hole. And inside were things that would definitely provide more clues and potential evidence in this case. Every day is a great day when you're not worrying about your appliances and home systems, and that's what you get with an American Home Shield warranty. Unexpected breakdowns like a leaky faucet or a faulty water heater won't break the bank with an American Home Shield warranty because covered repairs and replacements are taken care of just like that. Choose a plan that works for you and your budget, and then it's simple. When a covered item in your home breaks, contact American Home Shield and their trusted and qualified pros 
will fix or replace it based on the coverage limits in your agreement. Don't worry, be warranty. Right now you can take 20% off. Go to ahs.com slash AOM now to save 20%. That's ahs.com slash AOM for 20% off any plan. American Home Shield. Don't worry, be warranty. See ahs.com slash contracts for coverage limits, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. New Jersey residents, the product being offered is a service contract and is separate and distinct from any product or service warranty which may be provided by the home builder or manufacturer. In that hole, police recovered gloves and a knife, which did align with what the medical examiner noted with those cuts to Kelsey's arms resembling of what we've talked about, likely a knife was used in that attack. And so as various pieces of evidence are starting to put together the puzzle of the terror that Kelsey Burnett had endured, investigators are still combing the area for clues. And in an alley that was roughly only about 100 yards from Austin Burke's home, immediately next door, neighbors there identified that same trash can as one of theirs. And police, when they examined it, they noticed that there were tracks in the grass that matched the wheels on the bin and showed the path that that trash can had been dragged down the alley. All signs pointed back to Austin Burke's home. And Jim Shaw described the area where the trash can was in, down in an alleyway. And it's hard to imagine how the initial search would miss it, but that just really deepens the mystery even more. At this point, police are definitely starting to get somewhere and a picture is beginning to be painted, but the evidence that they discover is also raising more questions. So it's time to talk with the friends again. In the meantime, the search for additional evidence would continue. I called in four more officers from the department I sent one of them uh, to go with a county deputy to go pick up the boyfriend. I sent another one of my officers to go pick up Joseph Wilson. And I sent another one to secure the house, let nobody in it at all. And we actually executed another search warrant on the house. This search at the home would turn up another huge piece of evidence found hidden under some nearby shrubs on Austin Burke's property was Kelsey's cell phone with no SIM card inside. Joseph had said he handed her her cell phone and she started walking away with it. So if she had her cell phone walking away with it, why was her cell phone in the shrubs at the corner of the property? So police are now convinced that Kelsey never left the Burke residence and instead had been attacked and murdered by someone at the home or nearby in the early morning hours of July 1st. It was a senseless, senseless murder. I mean made no sense. The poor girl had just graduated high school in May. The news of Kelsey's murder rocked the community. Kelsey's family mourned their loss of a backbone of their family. Their eldest daughter, who was described as a constant caregiver, who had just graduated high school and had unlimited potential. So while Kelsey's family, her friends, and the community were beginning to process their grief, police had no time to slow down. They were starting to piece together what was really amounting to a treasure trove of evidence to work with. They had at least the potential murder weapons, the baseball bat, and the knife. And remember, the bat was found in the yard of Austenberg's house, and the knife was found in that hole right near where Kelsey's body was discovered. 
So if we go back to the Emmys report, we know that there's two types of injuries. One was a cut to her one of her arms, which was likely from a knife. And also the fact that her skull was broken into 14 different pieces. And that is consistent to what a bat can potentially do. As it turns out, the bat had blood and tissue that came back to Kelsey. And also the paint chips that were on her skull from being struck by that bat also was connected directly back through DNA to that bat. While the DNA evidence is connecting the bat, the real question was, who was wielding that weapon? So while the various pieces of evidence are starting to come together, the picture is being painted that leads to one person in particular, Joseph Wilson. According to him, he was the last person to see Kelsey alive. Things about his account don't necessarily make sense, i.e. the phone. And he places himself on that porch where that bat had originated. And when the data search of Kelsey's phone eventually comes back, it showed that there was a destructive event on the phone's hardware, such as a SIM card just being taken out of the phone, that occurred at 3.38 a.m., This timeline did not match with the story that Joseph Wilson originally gave to investigators when he had said that he handed Kelsey her fully charged phone at 5 a.m. But even with that, it still wasn't enough for Jim Shaw to charge him. I knew what was going to happen. I mean, we didn't have enough evidence. We had all kinds of circumstantial evidence, but we did not have enough to charge him. We did not get a confession and actually never did get a confession from him. But it was one of those where, you know, we had to let him go. What's your thoughts about that, Anasiga? I'm always interested, like, what someone else who isn't in our line of work, what they would think, right? Because if you're telling the story, like, those of you out there, you're like, oh, he definitely did it. And while, yes, you might be right, and I think that was investigators' feeling, this is all circumstantial. And while circumstantial evidence can make a great case. You need to be extra careful that there are no other innocent explanations that could account for these things. And so, you know, Scott, just think about the various conversations that have been had in homicide offices where they're like, here, we have this evidence. It's got to be him. And the prosecutors say, look, we only have one shot and we just aren't there yet. Yeah, I could hear your voice saying, why are we rushing? I mean, we have the body. She's no longer missing. Gather your evidence do your due diligence, get it done. He was being very evasive, and we actually had the polygraph examiner from TBI come that afternoon too, but he wouldn't take it. And his dad was there, being he was 17 years old, you know, we have to contact the parents and let them know, hey, we want to interview your son. Well, then his dad looked him straight in the eye, and he looked at him and he said, Jojo, you are lying. Joseph Wilson is putting himself in a pretty bad place because his story isn't adding up. And I'll also say one other thing I found super interesting at this point in the investigation. On both occasions that Jim Shaw had an opportunity to sit down with Joseph Wilson, the boy's father pleaded with his son to talk to investigators and tell the truth. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I think there really is something to it. There's never one size fits all in anything. And parents like 
other human beings, they have different takes. Some is to protect at all sorts, not even looking at right from wrong or just that fierce protection for their child, which again, right or wrong, you can definitely understand. And then there's that other listen. You have just got to be honest no matter what you've done. And that sounds like the category that this father took in. And, you know, the thing is that while investigators needed to take their time to make sure they had it right, you also have this very brutal attack that was perpetrated by someone and you want to get that person off the street as quickly as you can. And that's really where Jim Shaw came down to it. He really felt that he had the pieces that if he really laid it out methodically, that he at least felt that he was very ready to put this case to rest and get it into the courtroom in the hopes of getting Kelsey Burnett justice. I just want to take a sidestep here for a moment and talk about something else Jim Shaw was monitoring during this process, which was social media. And I do think it plays a role based on the fact this is a small town and there are people who knew the victim and there are people who knew the defendant and who knew both. Leads will come in and people will say this and that and it's not even true. We had to deal with anything that was put on Facebook. We had to go and interview that person because if you don't follow up on that, the defense attorney is going to ask you why you didn't follow up on that. And, you know, he wanted to see and make sure that if things were being talked about online, that he was up to speed on all of it, just to make sure he had his I's dotted and his T's crossed. I think that's a really interesting point, Scott, because while we know that social media can play into these investigations for all sorts of reasons, just listening to you talk about it here, the small town may impact what people are willing to say or not to say that maybe there may be some more leads or information that investigators might not get otherwise if they aren't keeping tabs of what people are putting out there on the internet. Absolutely. But all the leads that continue to come in and all the information that Jim Shaw had on this case all pointed towards 17-year-old Joseph Wilson. And, you know, as far as Jim Shaw was concerned, this was his guy. I could not tell you the hours that I put in on this case and Daniel Hampton with me, just me and him, and then also with the lead investigator with TBI, we probably interviewed over 120 people. But the real question is, what was his motive? I mean, this was his friend. Why? Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Currently, I'm preparing my first order with Fast Growing Trees and their selection of perennials are great. I really look forward to brightening up my backyard. 
This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code ANATOMY at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code ANATOMY at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code ANATOMY. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. We're heading into spring and warmer temps often mean more travel on the horizon. If you're going somewhere where the language is not your own, how great to learn some before you go. Enter Rosetta Stone, the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Rosetta Stone immerses you. You can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. I'm hoping to get to Europe this summer, and I've been using Rosetta Stone to brush up on French and to learn a little bit of Spanish. It's easy, intuitive, and I love that I can learn on the go with Rosetta Stone's app right on my phone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. It is available on desktop or can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Anatomy of Murder listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com anatomy. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com anatomy today. based on where the evidence is showing, it's going to come down to something simple yet brutal, and that is going to be the motive of sexual assault, right? Which it has to do with control and dominance and whether she shunned his advances or potentially could identify him for that assault. Well, then the murder would be, as in most of them, so that she couldn't ID. And that is where Jim Shaw was coming out to. I really believe he made an advance on her and she turned him down and I think that infuriated him and he was going to do what he wanted to do. I believe that was his way of thinking. And so it was in the middle of the night, so there was no one to witness it. So when Jim Shaw had another opportunity to sit down with Joseph Wilson, he presented him with the evidence that they had which also included, as you know, a sexual assault. And so here comes the saying we've said many times before, where some might choose to admit what you have to and deny what you can. So right now, Wilson's been confronted with the evidence that they not only know about the cell phone, so it doesn't make any sense that he would have handed her the cell phone because obviously it couldn't turn on if the SIM card was missing, but they also know she'd been sexually assaulted. And he pretty much just pivots on a dime and then says, well, okay, but it was consensual sex, and the reason that I lied about it is because, remember, her boyfriend is one of my best friends. You know, and within that admission, in a sense... Jim Shaw began to get sort of a picture of what may have occurred. The fact that she may have rejected him. He snapped. He assaulted her and at one point cutting her with a knife before beating her to death with the bat. And after he disposed of her phone, he then dumped her body in a trash can in the neighboring alleyway before Nick and Austin even woke up 
to find her missing. Still to this day, nobody really knows why. It's it's one of those where, you know, you can speculate that, you know, he made an advance on her and she turned him down and it just went a little too far. You know, if I'm handed this case as the prosecutor, I'm going to think about that statement and say, well, obviously you're going to have to disprove that if that is used at trial. Well, let's just think about the common sense or how nonsensical what he is saying. So wait, they have consensual sex and then she walks off and then just someone else happens to cut her with a knife, use a bat that had been on that porch where the two of them had been sitting and then bludgeon her to death with it, unbeknownst to him or anyone else there. It just makes no sense. And then she happens to be carrying a phone that mysteriously the SIM card ends up in that house. Again, you have to look at these various pieces in the lens of common sense. And what he is saying has none. And only 100 yards away from the place where this all began. So, you know, it's important, as you know, Anasiga, for Jim Shaw to get his timeline all of that evidence together to bring to someone like you who will have to decide and make that decision based on how strong of a case it possibly can be. And in my mind, it's time to arrest Joseph Wilson. Me and the lead investigator with that case, we actually sat down for two days and did a timeline. We got a bunch of poster board taped it in the back, had it laid out across a huge conference table, and we spent two days making the timeline of everything, where everybody was and what happened. We had several meetings with the DA, and then it finally came down where we realized we weren't going to have anything else. And so the DA, uh, General Crump, finally said, let's go for it. That's the only thing we can do when they put all the pieces together of what made sense and what didn't and what they thought they could prove and disprove in court, they came out that it was their time to try to get justice for Kelsey Burnett. And Joseph Wilson was arrested for sexual assault and her murder. So I go back to the police department. He's already there sitting outside the picnic table with his dad. And there's a couple officers there. Well, them officers knew what was getting ready to happen. So I walked up and I told him, I said, Joseph, I said, you're under arrest. There was no reaction. It, it was like he, no facial expression at all. I really do think he thought it was coming. But none of this happened quickly. It took investigators almost a year until they arrested Wilson because it was in June 2018. But during that time, while they're processing the evidence, they're ultimately able to identify the murder weapon. The baseball bat was confirmed through the DNA as well as the paint chips that we've already discussed. And the knife itself was later confirmed to be Joseph's based on the testimony of an ex-girlfriend. But one of the strongest pieces of evidence they had to work with was Kelsey's cell phone itself. The phone information was very vital to the case, and I think that's what really convinced the jury. So if Kelsey's cell phone had that SIM card in it and was turned on, think about what kind of evidence that phone could have turned over. Think about a proximity of using tower pings, being able to locate that phone. Now, even though it was a very short distance, they would really be able to trace its exact movement from the home to that set of bushes and specific times. Remember, Joseph Wilson said 5 a.m., The destructive event on the cell phone said just after 3.30 a.m. 
All of those things were important as part of the timeline, but an operating cell phone could have gave more evidence. Whenever he was charged, there was nobody that said, oh, well, he didn't do it. He didn't do it, you know, except for him. Wilson pleaded not guilty, so prosecutors were faced with numerous challenges and had to build their case around all of that circumstantial evidence. As the foreign DNA located on Kelsey's body couldn't be used for analysis due to the body's decomposition. Remember the weather conditions on June 30th and July 1st, 2017 was heavy rain and thunderstorms, and that likely destroyed blood evidence that was outside the home as well. I think what nailed this case for us when he talks about the cell phone and that's where your forensic science comes in. And he told the jury, if Joseph had her phone and took it off the charger and handed it to her and he said the screen was on on it, then why does records show that that phone was taken offline at three o'clock in the morning? Because if the phone had been working, as Wilson said, then it would have been pinging off the towers as she took that walk like he claimed. And all the phone evidence coupled with the other pieces presented during the trial would ultimately carry a lot of weight with the jury. General Crump did it so well in closing arguments, you know, and he actually held the bat in his hand in the closing argument and he hit the bat on the uh, witness table there because no one was there, you know, in the witness stand. He hit it. He said, this baseball bat is not going to convict Joseph today. He said, I'm not going to convict Joseph today, but the cell phone is going to convict Joseph. After six days of testimony and less than two hours of deliberation, in November 2019, jurors found Joseph Wilson guilty of first-degree murder and aggravated sexual assault in the 2017 murder of 18-year-old Kelsey Burnett. Wilson was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And in Tennessee, a life sentence is 51 years. So if he serves the entire term, Wilson could be released when he's around 70 years old. Jim's dedication to his work is clear from how much time and all the effort he put into solving this case. I want to do what's right. You know, in helping people, that just comes with the job. But I guess that was instilled in me growing up to do the right thing and then being in the Marine Corps and everything like that. And it just, I don't know, that's what motivated me to get the bad guy. You know, it was just, it was a good feeling. But then I sit there and think, that boy... 17 years old when he did this, nobody wins because it's not going to bring Kelsey back, but yet he doesn't need to be on the streets either. You've got a father that's losing his son to prison for the rest of his life, and you've got a mother and a father that's never going to get their daughter back. You know, Scott, that really goes to the humanity in all of this. You know, just like Jim Shaw put in his own words, he's in it to catch the bad guys, to make sure people don't hurt other people, like what happened to Kelsey. But he can also see it from the humanitarian perspective that there's just so many lives destroyed so needlessly in all these cases. There will always be questions, Anasiga, that we can't answer. Obviously, we don't want to be in the mind of someone who would commit this type of heinous crime. But there will always be unanswered questions. You know, murder is an inherently selfish act. 
one that callously disregards the sanctity of another person's life for the fulfillment of a perpetrator's own desires or motives, driven by anger, revenge, jealousy, or other base emotions, and are placed above the rights of the well-being of their victim. You know, in doing so, the murderer deprives the victim not only of their future, but of the most fundamental human right, the right to life. I mean, Kelsey's community is still grappling with the pain and sorrow of her tragic loss. They remain steadfast in their commitment to honor their legacy. You know, with that, her city renamed the alley that Kelsey's body was found into Kelsey's Lane in her memory. And I think that is a great tribute to a tragic victim. So while a life was taken on that lane, this community wants to never forget Kelsey by seeing her name every time they go by that street. And when you think about this young woman who should have had the rest of her life ahead of her, at that point in her life, she was doing exactly what young people should be doing, enjoying one another, the vibrancy of youth. And it is clear that Kelsey was comfortable and trusted her friends. But then here, one of them betrayed that trust in the most brutal and savage of ways. Tune in next week for another new episode of Anatomy of Murder. Anatomy of Murder is an audio Chuck original. Produced and created by Weinberger Media and Frasetti Media. Ashley Flowers is executive producer. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.